0: Welcome back to P.S. Editor's Podcast. Today we're talking more about robots, taxes, manufacturing jobs. With me today is Stuart Watley, another associate editor at P.S., who is calling in from New York. Uh,
1: Hi, everybody. Nice to be here.
0: So in a previous podcast, Jonathan Stein and I discussed uh, Yanis Fox's ideas on how to approach the taxation of robots. Um, the idea is that robots are going to take over work that would traditionally be taxed as, say, income tax. And so, you know, how can we offset that? But another of our contributors, uh, Jay Bradford DeLong, says it's too early to be thinking about that at all.
1: Yeah, uh, so this DeLong kind of enters into this conversation with a recent exchange. I think it was in the Financial Times opinion page and, and somewhere else, but uh, uh, Secretary... Um, of the Treasury, Steve Mnuchin, uh, made some comments about um, artificial intelligence and Silicon Valley kind of unicorn firms, these firms that are valued at a billion dollars, even though they haven't shown that they can even make any money. Um, And so the the, the, the disagreement they're having, though, is basically like, how imminent is this threat of, of, you know, a workless, fully automated society? And I mean, you have a lot, there's a lot of books coming out recently on this too. There's a lot of discussion about it. And so um, some of it is justified because there are, there are things like, you know, deep learning uh, advances in uh, the uh, Watson computer or, or whichever, uh, deep blue, which, you know, beat the world go champion. All of these, there's these headline kind of making events that have, that have got people talking about this topic, but the long uh, it's kind of emphasizing is that yes, this is all happening, but it's it's not going to happen tomorrow. And in the meantime, there's a lot more that we should be focusing on. And and so as he usually does, he's an economic historian. So as usual, he he takes a I think a very useful historical look at it and and tracks kind of the evolution of technology as it as it relates to work over you know the centuries basically. And and what he shows is that yes. Everyone remembers the textile factories and how that displaced, you know, millions of workers. But there are countless other examples that don't always get mentioned where it hasn't, where where technology is not just like an immediate source of impoverishment for millions of people. If anything, it does the opposite. And so you can think of countless examples of this. But, you know, if you're just as a theoretical, you know, if if you're a widget maker and you get a machine that makes your widgets, faster than as a widget maker you can make more widgets and sell more widgets and so forth and this is basically that's basically just what productivity growth is and what most of the discussions about manufacturing in america today miss uh by focusing on trade agreements is that productivity growth accounts for almost all of the reduction in manufacturing employment over the, uh, the past few decades and that's the uh, that's what delong wants to kind of emphasize is that by by focusing on the wrong things, policymakers are missing what they should be doing in, in the meantime to kind of help workers, which is to say, workers should be uh, provided with safety. This is, the solutions along this are uh, provide workers with you know a safety net, provide training for how to use the new widget making widgets, and uh, various other uh, policies like that. Um, so, sorry, Whitney, I went on for a little while there. Yeah. But do you want to? Uh, do you want to uh, jump in on, um, so this was a, actually DeLong, I, I just uh, gave a summary of DeLong's April column, but we're also going to be discussing his uh, his May column, so if you want to jump in.
0: Yeah, his his May column focused a little bit more on uh, manufacturing jobs, and the sort of history of how those shift, and you know, the idea is essentially that it's not necessarily that, that blue-collar jobs just disappear altogether. It just may be that they change. And in terms of what you mentioned actually previously also about productivity growth, um, you look at the coal industry, for example, which gets a lot of attention um, in the States now from Donald Trump talking about you know bringing back this industry. But you've got these, pro- th- these technologies that allow for productivity enhancement. So there might not actually be jobs in that industry. But that doesn't mean, and as DeLong shows historically, that doesn't... Lead to just a dearth of blue collar jobs. These people still can find other jobs in other industries, maybe more you know technologically advanced industries. Maybe some uh, the jump could be as obvious as from coal to renewable energy, um, or maybe it can be into a services sector. the The important thing is is as you mentioned, training and giving people the security that they need to shift jobs or industries. Um, and and not be stuck in unemployment
1: yeah and you actually um this kind of raises an issue that that delong discusses but that i don't know if anyone really has a solution for it yet but when he's describing how you know basically the last half century of of history of, of manufacturing in america has been what he described you know one of churn uh not job destruction and but what he, one of the largest areas of churn that he talks about is geographic and this is I, I think this is something no one has really figured out yet is telling you know the the workers in you know uh west virginia that their jobs haven't disappeared but they've moved you know to florida and so like mm-hmm. how do you yeah you know how do we tell people that it, you can't just uproot people from their homes i mean there's all kinds of you know like there are proposals out there for like how to make it more affordable or how to encourage people to go to where they you know where they could be more useful, but that's a hard sell for people who have maybe been somewhere for generations, and, and yeah, politically of really course that's that's it's Sorry, also just
0: just politically difficult to convince people. So as much as that might be the right economic choice, and there are ways to facilitate it, you know if you if you want votes, that might not be you know giving people tough news is not off is often not the way to get them
1: yeah and that's and that's really played into uh it's really played into trump's hands the you know his his kind of cartoonishly simple the cartoonishly simple picture that he he draws is uh you know it just kind of uses uh the word manufacturing as a catch-all but an interesting part of DeLong's discussion is that manufacturing is kind of a a almost a useless term like what are we talking about okay so auto manufacturing like making cars yes that's obviously manufacturing but most of these workers uh in the early 2000s moved from manufacturing into you know home building during the housing bubble Uh, they were still blue collar which is maybe a a broader more useful term they were still doing the type of semi-skilled but you know doesn't require a college degree type work and mm-hmm. so that's and, and, and then I guess the latest shift is maybe to uh, various um, roles in the healthcare sector that don't require you know a medical degree or anything, but uh, this is what this is what I think trump um, has either is missing or purposefully kind of smearing over with with a lot of his trade rhetoric. yeah,
0: and um Delong actually refers to an, another previous Delong piece um in one of these where he talks specifically about NAFTA. And I think just to highlight, again, that oversimplification of the issue at hand, um, he points out that just 0.1 percentage points of the 21.4 percentage point decline in the employment share of manufacturing um, in the last 30 years is attributable to NAFTA. So that that idea that you know, we can just renegotiate a trade deal and, oh, the problem is just bad trade deals, it feeds into into a, this very simplistic narrative. But if you look at kind of the figures and the trends underneath, it's not really, it's not backed by those things.
1: Yeah. And I think a, a, an interesting additional point that he he doesn't go too deeply into, it, but he, he, he alludes to it, uh, is that the, um, if you look at the, the decline in the share of jobs that are in manufacturing in you know, similar uh, countries that kind of, countries that boomed after World War II, basically. I think he mentions Germany and Japan. Um, They've had the exact same downward trajectory uh, owing to largely to productivity growth. And, but then the U.S. has like an extra, uh, I think like 3% or 3.5% decline that Uh that isn't accounted for in, in declining productivity growth. And to that, he brings up the issue uh, of basically politics. I mean, economics is is hugely important, but it isn't a, you know, an autonomous machine. It is, you know, something that can be uh, accounted for through politics. And since the the is along uh consistently since Reagan, uh, since the 1980s, mm-hmm. the US uh, has been pushing policies such as, you know, Supply side uh, tax cuts for the rich, uh, fiscal stimulus, um, you know, all of these things that that inflate uh, the value of the dollar. And there's no better way uh, to destroy your domestic manufacturing sector than to uh, inflate the dollar because it makes it, you know, it makes the workers here cost more. It it gives uh, foreign uh, manufacturers an advantage if they're exporting to uh, to the U.S. and, and so forth and so forth. And so I think that's um I think that's an interesting point though because with with the trump administration, you have them doing you know just doubling down basically on the exact policies that account for that extra uh three point five percentage of lost manufacturing jobs um, yeah we're gonna
0: just, we're gonna yeah. spend a lot of money and and um also cut our revenues um I think that uh De- Delong actually he very briefly mentions one more one more thing that I think is interesting regarding. Um, kind of flawed US policies and he talks about uh, u.s foreign policy and how instead of you know the u.s delivers a lot of aid and isn't very involved in the world but they're doing so rather than financing you know development and industrialization and creating more markets um, for their manufacturing exports he says that they've been doing you know more unproductive things they've it's all it's been a little bit more political that he calls it the U S the world's money launderer. Um, and that turns out to be not as useful as really getting their developing economies more developed so that they then can become markets and that they can sort of that relationship with the U S can, can feed in and enhance the, uh, America's economy as well.
1: Yeah, you're right. That's, that's the, the, the global uh, dynamic of, of, of the kind of flawed macroeconomic policies that he described since the 80s is, uh, is hugely important, um, or bigly, as he might say, <laughs> uh, because, it, yeah, as you said, the, um, you know, I think it's, I think the term is, is uh, the financialization of the American economy which, no coincidence, uh, is generally said to have started around you know, the late 70s, but mostly during the Reagan era. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, what you have is policies to uh, encourage a, a bloating financial sector that is uh, increasingly concerned with moving money around to make money for itself, but without any kind of real connection to uh, the real economy, with the quintessential uh, element of which is generally manufacturing. And so... You know, it does just speak to this divide of, but it, again, it's the gap between the Trump administration's rhetoric and it's completely, uh, you know, stacking the decks in, in favor of Wall Street.
0: Yeah, and I, I actually would just finish maybe to bring it back a little bit to, what we, to where we started. Um, we started by kind of put, setting DeLong's argument up against this idea of attacks on robots, um, because that's not really the issue yet.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think there's the I think the UBI, the Universal Basic Income, is an interesting um, is an interesting idea. It's another thing that's being debated a lot these days. Uh, there are, you know, I see the arguments for and against it. There's a lot of proposals for it would uh, still kind of just play into to those who already have more than everyone else. Um, you know, if it's a universal basic income, then you're giving the same amount of money to Bill Gates as to as to uh, <laughs> oh, you know, the single mother uh, on food stamps or whatever the cliche is. Uh, you know, so I think there are. Int- so I do like Varifakis's kind of creativity. I think there's a need for more creativity. Um, but in the in, in the meantime, I think there's also going to have to be an honest. I don't know, maybe in four years, but an honest political discussion about. <laughs> you know, the social safety net uh, across all uh, Western countries. Um, France is currently dealing with, you know, a, what many would say is a bloated social safety net, but then others would say that the U.S. is kind of, has, has a lot to uh, make up for that's lacking. So I don't yeah. know. I think there's, I mean, this is going to be the biggest problem of, of, you know, the coming decades. Uh, and it all depends on, I guess when you think the robots are coming.
0: I think the idea that Delong gives that that the full robotization of the economy, where everything's automated, um, I definitely think that that there's some distance between us and that future. Although you know, for some people in some industries, it probably feels a lot sooner because those industries, it is coming much sooner.
1: Of course, then you also have Facebook now, uh, hiring humans, uh, to look at the content on the site. We'll see how long that lasts though. It seems like an impossible job.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it's, there are, there are still plenty of these, of these unskilled jobs and even new unskilled jobs that, that only humans can do. We still have some advantages. Indeed. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that that's going to wrap it up for today. Um, Thank you, Stuart, for being with us. Um, Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our PS Editors podcast, and you will hear from us again next week. Thanks for listening.